1: Welcome to episode 268 of the Barcelona podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and with me today is Levon, better known as Barcelev. And Levon, it's a hot one here in the USA, but this is a podcast, so I mean, I guess nobody cares. Do you one who gets to really see me sweat?
2: Barcelona summers get plenty sticky as well, so don't worry, I'll be swimming and sweat in no time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. Unlike when it's Champions League season, it's the Euros. So there's going to be nothing that's going to make you sweat. I don't have any fancy questions or anything to trick you. But where I want to start is unrelated to all that gobbledygook. It's with a highlight. It's with uh, something that I, I wanted to just start the show with before we get into transfers and the Euros and Copa America and all the normal stuff we've been hitting all summer. It's that Vicky Lasada, the Barca captain for the Feminine, said goodbye to the club in her final appearance at the Estadi Johan Cruyff in the 9-1 win over Abar. She is just 30 years old, which is pretty shocking that it, it feels like a retirement, <laughs> Levan, but it wasn't. It was just that she's going to be saying goodbye to the club now for the second time. She was with the club since the age of 14, made her professional debut at 17, though she did spend a little bit of time with Arsenal in England, about a year and a half, and then also a half a season with the Western New York Flash here in the US. So then returning to Barca in 2016, also was briefly with Espanyol for a hot minute there, but then in 2016, returned to the club as the club was entering professionalism and kind of taking that step forward into being the Barca feminine that they have now become to win the Champions League, where there's professionalism, where they're putting the financial investments to try to compete with the, the rest of the world. So she ends her Blagrana career with 375 games, six league titles, six Copas de la Lorena, a Spanish Super Cup, and of course that Champions League title too, to cap it all off. And this season has only lost twice, once to Atletico Madrid this season, then again to Atletico Madrid, but once in the Spanish Super Cup and once in the league last week. So they don't finish the league perfect, but I mean, as far as having a final season at the club, it's a pretty good way to to, to go out and it's understandable too. We've been talking and we've been watching with Patri. Patri is the defensive midfielder. She's only 23 or 24 at this point. She's the defensive midfielder for the future and Vicky Lozada can be a starter in almost any other club in the world. So for her to come off the bench as the captain at 30 years old, it's understandable why she's leaving obviously to become the main figure in another club but I, I, I wouldn't ask for a better way to go out.
2: I mean, you can stay a couple of seasons and <laughs> uh, guide the new generation, you know, but uh, everybody's free to, uh, to choose their, their their path and if uh, both club and player agree that she can go go out on the high good for her
1: yep so we do it vicky lasada best of luck we hope that we can get her as an interview someday to come on the pod uh, just we have some other former Femini players. I also have to mention, too, Kiara Hamraoui is going to be leaving the other defensive, well, one of the other three defensive midfielders. So there is certainly probably a defensive midfielder in the works for the Barca Femini. So look out for that transfer in for the Barca Femini. But yeah, speaking of getting to decide where you go, unfortunately, Junior Firpo, Cano de la Fuente, and Ludo Rice did not get the same treatment, as well as Mateus Fernandez, whose birthday happens to be tomorrow. So happy birthday to Juan Laporta today. Tomorrow is Mateus Fernandez's birthday. Not a great birthday to have your contract rescinded the day before so unfortunately for Mateus Fernandez he is not going to be deciding like Vicky Lasada to to lead the club but I think we're going to start with Junior Firpo so it seems like Levon, it's not the mains like Coutinho or Umtiti or whatever but players are starting to find the door at this point and the club as you had mentioned the club is finding the players that they can get a little bit of money for
2: yeah and I think this is more about the little bit of money that we can get for him than for the salary that we are saving, because I don't think uh, uh, that he has a very uh, expensive contract. Um, I think he's going to Leeds United, right? That's
1: Yep, to that's Leeds United for €15 million Euros plus add-ons. He's still just 24 years old. He came in 2019 for around €20 million. So in theory, it's a little bit of a loss, but it's still early enough for him to restart his career. And we don't even know the add-ons. So the add-ons could be up to €25 million. Euros, and hey, with Leeds United on the up, he might hit all those.
2: Yeah, who knows? Um, I would very much prefer bringing Marcelo Bielsa to our club to coach Junior Fierpo <laughs> than sending Junior Firpo out to, to Leeds United. I don't think Leeds going to fall for that.
1: I don't think Leeds going to fall for that swap. <laughs> I think they're smart. Not. I think they're smart to, to, not, to not fall for that.
2: Probably not. Um, and unfortunately, we don't seem smart enough to try. But uh, best of Junior Firpo. He's, uh he seems like a very humble guy. It's, it's funny because he's the first Dominican to ever play for, for Barcelona. And especially in my neck of the woods here in Barcelona, uh, the streets are crowded with Dominicans. But when you see an interview with Junior Firpo, he is not like any of the Dominicans here. Because all of the Dominicans, they have their, their, their Dominican swagger, they have a Dominican accent. But Junior Firpo, he, he was brought up in, in some kind of village in Andalusia. Mm-hmm. and and he speaks with a Spanish accent. He yeah. I think he has a Spanish girlfriend. So I don't know. Not that any of that matters. Uh, I wish the best of the guy. Uh, I, uh, I'm sorry it didn't work out for him. He seemed like a decent guy. Yep. Um, and I don't think he's a, as bad as a footballer as uh, a lot of people make him out to be. No, not at all.
1: I was. It was one of those where I feel like I've been pretty good over the four or five years doing this. The track record I've had, where if I'm excited about a player, I generally get it right, and then if I'm you know weary about a player coming in, then it usually doesn't work out for that player. You know, I I have the ones that I've gotten right, Pjanic and Coutinho. Yet yeah, there are ones that. And then for Junior Firpo, with Ferlin Mendy going to Real Madrid, that was my first choice. He goes to Real Madrid. So I thought Junior Firpo, for Barca to pick him up for $20 million in 2019 at the age of 22, I thought that was really good value. At the time, he had made 43 appearances for Real Betis with five goals and seven assists. And then since that time, he made 41 appearances for Barca with two goals and three assists. This year, which is 18 appearances total, one goal and one assist. But this year, he played at left midfield. He played at left back. He played at right center back. He played at left center back. He was all over the place this year, basically trying to figure out anywhere he could be fit in. And so I do really like the move to Leeds United because if there's one guy to figure out how to use a wing back like Junior Firpo or figure out how to use him either as a left center back or right center back or as a wing back, it's going to be uh, Marcelo Bielsa. So I'm excited to see Junior Firpo continue on his career. Yeah. And I-, I wish him the best of luck, but that also means that Barca now have less depth at left back. And, you know, I have to say he still made 18 appearances, so he still no. was technically the backup left back for Jordi Alba and they're going to have to figure something else out
2: i do worry for his hamstrings under bielsa you know they mm. they, they, they might suffer uh, i i also i agreed with the move i was not um one of the biggest fans of Cucurella, uh who was at barça b uh when i think we we sent him to getafe right yeah that
1: was his first uh, was his it was a bar then getafe yep
2: all oh, right all right thanks Abar and then getafe because i saw i i saw Cucurella plenty when uh when i went to the mini Mm-hmm. to uh, watch Barca B games, and I always thought that he was extremely weak uh, positionally. Uh, he always got in a lot of trouble. I'm happy that he is doing well elsewhere, uh, and I never really regretted selling him or sending him out on loan, even though we didn't get proper value for him. Then at the same time, sure, Fripo, we, we signed him for $18 million, We sold him for 15. So you can argue it was worth a chance. But in the end, with so few games that we have given him, we might, as well, we might as well have given these games to Kukureya. To well, so
1: yeah, well, I think what, what you're on to is that for Kukureya, he succeeded as a professional as a left winger, not as a left back. So to call Kukureya a left back and to, to question his positional defensive sense of the left back, I think it's fair because that's not what he's broken in as being a really good professional as. He's, he's a really good professional as a left winger. And for Junior Firpo, uh, it's wherever Bielsa sees him, but he came to Barcelona to be the backup left back. And the longer and longer it went on, you went. Well, is he a left wing back? Maybe that's where he played for Real Betis under Kike Setien. Or is he actually a left? Or in in his best appearance, I think maybe in a Barca uniform was at right center back when he dealt with Kylian Mbappe. I think that's gonna be one of, for this season at least, this is my la- that's my lasting image of Junior Firpo playing completely out of position on his opposite foot, but doing a good job on Kylian Mbappe. So that's, yeah, we wish K- uh, Junior Firpo the best of luck. I said the next name we're gonna do, and that's Conrad De La Fuente goes to Marseille. We already kind of mentioned this before, he's American, so yeah, I'm biased. I wish that he had broken at Barca, but with the wing depth that Barca has, Totally get it. I totally understand even it's I think it's five million with add-ons. There might be some kind of buyout clause potentially, or there's future sell-on numbers. So for what they're gonna get for him, especially the marketability as well of an American player, you know, I, I'm hoping that with with Americans kind of changing the way that Europe perceives them, my hope for Conrad de la Fuente in particular, not just as an American, but my hope for him as a player is because this American market seems to it changed in Europe. It changed that There used to be the idea that Americans can never, only goalkeepers can be trusted. And now you have Pulisic and McKenney and Tyler Adams and Conrad at the point and Sergio Nodest and uh, Gio Reyna for Dortmund. And you have all these players. They're not world beaters, they're not superstars, but they're all players playing for Champions League teams from the ages of 18 to 21. And that tells you that, hey, those are players you want to invest in. So Conrad being a part of that generation that, hey, it, maybe even if Marseille doesn't stick, that when he's 20, he's only 19 now, so at 21 years old, maybe somebody else goes, or 22 years old, somebody else take a chance on him. So I think that helps out Barcelona. I think it helps out his career. I'm not so happy to see him go to Marseille because I don't trust their structure. They, they tend to ch- change their game plan or change the way that they want to run their club every two to three years. So there seems to be a bit of an instability there. They, they can finish anywhere from second in the league table to seventh or eighth, depending on the year. So that is worrisome for me. But he's also, again, only 19. So if they're able to be a bit patient with him, I think he's going to do really well in Liga.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com.
2: Right, I'm, I don't follow Marseille, but of all the, all the clubs in France, Marseille is actually the, the club that I have most, um, where my sympathies lie. Hmm. Let's put it that way. Um, if you go to Marseille, that city just breathes football. Like... Football is really part of Marseille. Marseille is football. Football is Marseille. So it's, it's a great place for, for a young player to, to go and, and, and hopefully uh, break through. If it's the best place for Conrad La Frente, I don't know, time will tell and uh, he will have to prove himself. Um, I do believe that you know it's the right move for, for us to, to sell him to another club. And uh, 5 million is, is the market value unfortunately, if he could get more, then we would love to get more. But he's a Segunda B player. He's, what, 20, 21
1: years old already? No, he's only 19 or 20.
2: He's only 19? 19, 19 oh, yeah. or 20?
1: 20 is the okay. most, yeah. So,
2: yeah, I, I think 5 million is probably probably fair. I don't think he's ever going to set the world alight. Uh, world but let's face him best.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think if he's, just a, if he's a depth option, if he's the fourth best winger on a Champions League team, that's a good career. Uh, no, no, no shame in that. And he'll be a part of the U.S. men's national team, I hope, in the future too. So next one, I have even less to say. Ludo Rice goes to Hamburg. He was came in ni- 2019. You're <laughs> shaking your head because he was at Groningen in 2019, one year at Barca B, and then he was a year on loan in the two Bundesliga, or five Bundes- I five don't, Bundesliga. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's second Bundesliga, two Bundesliga. I'm going to mess it up no matter what. So uh, Osnabrück was the club he went to. Last year on loan, he, you know, he was there for them, but nobody was watching that, obviously. He did come. I think the only thing to take from this is that he came for 3 million euros plus add-ons from Gornigan, and from the minute that he was signed, I tried to do my homework. I tried to figure out what kind of player he was, and I went, 3 million euros? I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure, and that was another one of those. Yep, you're not your head. Please, please.
2: This was just ridiculous.
1: <laughs> just,
2: just a ridiculous signing. So I didn't know Reis when we signed him either. So uh, you know, um, uh, okay, he's from he's from Holland. He's from the Eredivisie. I call my dad. I'm like, who is this guy? And my dad is like, who? Oh, Ludovic Reis, guys. He plays for Groningen. And my dad starts thinking like, wait, but Barcelona signed him. What what on earth has Barcelona signed him for? Because even in Holland, he was just a completely unremarkable player. So it is just such a weird. Signing, like, why do we spend money on on people like him? I understand that, yeah sometimes you want to take a chance, but why not take a chance on people that you think, hey, there might be a chance that they work out instead of taking a chance on uh, Ludovic Rice or uh, I think uh, one of the other t- players that we are uh, finally letting go this year. And I say finally. What I mean is finally after a whole year.
1: He's speaking with Fernandez Fernando, of course. I mean, that one was even worse because it's 7 million plus add-ons from Palmeiras. And that one, he's even 22 years old. At least Royce, when he was brought in, was 18. But even 18, when you say like he never fit at Barca, what we're talking about is what, I've, what I saw from him for his one year at Barca B is that positionally he's pretty good. He knows where he needs to be. He knows how to snuff out a counterattack in the third division of Spanish football. But as far as his technical abilities, it was never going to be. Up to the level of the first team, it just—it was never going to happen. So he would have had to be the best defense. He would have had to be Ngola Conte. I—I mean, that's what he would have had to be without Conte's uh, technical ability, right? Like that—that's how good his positioning was going to have to be. I mean, he was decent in the air, but again, like we're talking about the third division in Spain, he was. that th- I mean, now I'm grasping for compliments to see what, like, you know, because I don't want to bag on a kid who again he fulfilled his dream of signing for Barca at, at 18. I always want to make sure that Santiago Fernandez, I zero fault. Royce and Fernandez for coming to Barcelona. Who would not want to sign up to live in Barcelona and train with Messi and be a part of that setup? And you know what? If I'm 18 and I'm Royce, I'm like, hey, there's a reason they scouted me and wanted to sign me. So maybe I am that player. And there's a self-belief there that I think matters. (laughs) And so I don't blame the players at all. That's like, that's not... I just want to make sure we're going we're going about it in that way. Um, but same thing for Royce, it's undisclosed. It might even be a free transfer. And then Mateus Fernandez is worse, though, because they rescinded his contract, meaning they ate what they bought him for, the $7 million plus add-ons, and now they have to eat the rest of his contract. But um, it just tells you that not only was he not going to have any part of this, but I think that move indicates that. Laporta and his board don't want to waste any time. They cannot waste their time on the phone trying to figure out a new home for Mateus Fernandez. There are bigger fish to fry in this transfer market on trying to get rid of players and sell players on that this was one where they said, hey, we're just going to eat the cost on this just so that we're done with this business completely. And that's even right. more disrespectful, I think, to the player.
2: No, it's good for the player.
1: It's good for the player. It's just disrespectful, it's I mean, as far as like, having have a good contract.
2: It, it, he's young. He can... He still has his whole life in front of him and he just earned the money of, uh, the next four years all in one go. true. If, you know, if, if my employer tells me, you know, Hey, would you like me to pay you the next four years of salary? And you know, you stop working for us tomorrow. Then you can guess what my response will be with all respect to my employer. I'm probably going to say, uh, let me think about it. Yeah, I'll do it. So I, I, I don't think it's, uh, bad for him. Um, I've heard from a person who who met him and uh, and talked to him fairly early on this season, uh, who's, that he seemed completely oblivious that he did not have what it takes hmm. to to make it at, at Barcelona. That he, he seemed like a genuinely nice kid, and he was just very very happy to be at the club, uh, very convinced that uh, that he would get playing time, that he would make it. Um, so yeah, it's just. Another one of those really weird situations. Uh, we live in, in an era where uh, Brazilian talents get snatched up at 16 years old. Right. You know, clubs pay 20, 25, 30 million for 16 year old Brazilians. And we get one who is 21. 22. Who does not even. 20
1: He was 22 when we signed it? Yeah, 22. So he's going to be 23 tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so happy birthday. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, he's going to be 23 tomorrow, so we scouted him when he was 21. Right. Uh, and, we, and and we got him when he was 21 and he did not even start for his club. Like yep. Really? That that just doesn't make any sense. It defies logic. It's not even logically without without even seeing the player. You already have to think to yourself like, "Hmm, I don't think that is a smart move."
1: Yep, I I have nothing to speak of his abilities or skill because we saw him for 15 minutes in a Champions League match so there's I don't think there's anything (laughs) more to say about Mateus Fernandez. I wish him well as well if he wants to stay in Europe or go back to Brazil I wish him well Uh, but I am I am kind of excited to see I mean listen if you take not even Mateus Fernandez's minutes but just letting one of the youngsters make those trips to Champions League right like it's a midweek Wednesday Champions League game I'd rather bring Nico or Honda Oriana or just Bring one of those youngsters, let them sit on the bench and take in what is a Champions League night. I mean, it's just so much more valuable for the future of the club for that than to have a player that was going to be gone after 15 minutes. I mean, both literally and figuratively <laughs> after just playing 15 minutes. OK, so enough of that. Those are the transfers out. So the good news is that transfers have begun to, you know, trickle out. It's it's a little bit of the... Uh, how do you say? It feels like it's a, just a, a light little shower before what we hope is a torrential downpour of, of, of players uh, making their exodus. So now we're going to pivot for the rest of the show basically to reviewing the Euros and the Copa America here. We have to start with the, the pain point for you, Levan, and that is with Netherlands, Czech Republic. What did you think?
2: Wow, it was just depressing. And it, it, it was one of those games where after five minutes you already think, uh-oh, I don't like where this is headed. There are reports in Holland that, apart from, you know, everybody wants to just kill Frank de Boer. But besides that, uh, one, one of the interesting things that came up is the way that the tournament is set up, set up right now where uh, teams play all over Europe. So apparently they went from, uh, from a city where it was 17, 20 degrees.
1: That's Celsius for our American viewers, our listeners.
2: Yeah. 1720, which is like what? Um, 75 Fahrenheit, something like that. Yeah. Reasonable temperature. Um, yeah. Yeah. To to somewhere where it was up in the nineties. Right. And they did not uh, acclim- acclim- acclimatize. Is that the word
1: that I'm looking for?
2: Yeah. Well, acclimatize to the, the new w- climate. Yeah. They yeah. did not get used to the, to the weather, which sounds like a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Uh, then, then again, it is an interesting aspect that nobody thought about about holding this tournament all over the place. Having said that, the whole the whole setup and the whole game plan, uh, I can understand going in to the match with that plan because it worked well against the previous three uh, three opponents, and it's not as if uh, the Czech Republic is that much stronger than some of the uh, some of the opponents that we faced. But when you see that it does, that it is not working. Why don't you change it? So if you see that, if you have a midfield with um, Frankie de Jong, Deron and Reinaldem, and you see that the Czech Republic just man marks Frankie de Jong into oblivion, and you have two other midfielders who have wooden clogs instead of football boots on, change one of those midfielders for somebody who can play the ball, like Ravenberg. You know, those are fairly simple steps. um, That it is always so weird to me where I know they are the professionals. We only watch the game every now and then. Uh, they have so much more knowledge of the game. They have so much more knowledge of the players that they're coaching. Then why do they make such stupid decisions? Can somebody tell me that? Do you know why Frank de Boer just plays the role and Rijnaldum? Rijnaldum had like nine completed passes after, after the whole game. And I'm, I respect Wijnaldum and his game. I'm very appreciative of what he what he gives us in uh, in the right setup. But when things are not working, make some changes, man. Wow. It was embarrassing.
1: Well, I think there are coaches that, for better or worse, stick to convictions. And I think if Frank DeBoer doesn't get another professional job for a while, or he has to go down to quite a few levels. I mean, we saw when Clarence Seedorf, managed that would be a familiar one where he kind of did the same thing he stuck to convictions and you know there are guys who do the opposite and they try to change up things too much but very rarely do you criticize the ones who I mean isn't Pep one of the only ones who gets criticized for overthinking and doing too much right usually it's the opposite that managers get critiqued and they lose their jobs over not making the changes they should have made and Frank DeBoer I think That's what I said when I watched him with Atlanta United, it's the same thing. I watched every single match that he managed with Atlanta United. He had a lot less talent than the Dutch national team, I'll tell you that. So there's a lot less options on his bench. But even then, there were players that the Atlanta United fans base would be all over social media saying, hey, why is this guy, you know, we only have two or three talented attackers uh, on the bench. Why are we not starting this one or playing that one? And there were questions in the MLS and there were questions for the Dutch national team and you know, even though d- levels might be different, the football winds up having the same effect. Um, yeah. That said, the only thing, other things I have to say is, I mean, for Frankie DeYoung, I guess it's good he gets a little more rest, but I think a lot of the heat came off him from that match, just because when Aldums, you mentioned the stat I was gonna say about the the nine completed passes, but and that's incredible for a guy who was one of the players. When Aldum had been one of the players of the tournament, he was so good in the in the games that he had played so far, and for him to no show. That's the one place where I actually take a little bit off De Boer. That when you're, we'll say superstar talent in Wijnaldum who'd been your best player so far in a tournament, when your best player no-shows like that, yes, some of that is on you, but I mean, part of that's going, what changed? I mean, what ch- if, if he did the same thing and Frank De Boer didn't change anything, what changed for Wijnaldum other than the Czech Republic trying to, you know, mark off that that, that pathway between De Jong and Darum and Wijnaldum? But that shouldn't have been, that should have been expected. And these are, again, Wijnaldum, De Jong, these are players that deal with that week in and week out in their domestic leagues. Those are players that deal with that week in and week out in the Champions League. Uh, And the fact that those players weren't able to figure out a solution either, I'm not, I'm defending Frank De Boer. I'm saying is that uh, I think it was calamitous for everybody, players and and manager both.
2: I don't know if I've ever seen Frank De Jong marked and followed uh, all over the pitch like that. It was almost like one of those games where... um, Yeah, now you got uh, me thinking. Do you remember that game that we played against Girona where they had this one guy oh, just okay. follow, oh my gosh. Fa-
1: follow follow Messi around like, Maffeo, for, for 90 minutes Man yeah. City Man City youth Pablo Maffeo yeah <laughs> the, the great Pablo Maffeo of course uh yeah and but the, in his defense he was only like 19 years old <laughs> and Messi goes and Messi <laughs> said okay how about you just put me in your pocket there's like a scared straight uh, it was a TV show here in the US where I'm not going to into it but anyway you can look up the clip it's called uh, scared straight in my pocket it's it's very profane. It's not appropriate. Something you would be surprised that I would have. I mean, it was crazy, but it's, that's what Messi did. He just put the guy's hand in his pocket and said, follow me around all day, boy, and maybe you might learn something. But yes, I, I do remember that.
2: Yeah, and um, that might be something that we're going to see over the course of next season uh, for Barcelona as well.
1: With Frankie the Young. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, because the player that they tried to do that to, I mean, Juventus did that in their 3 nothing in the Champions League. They did it to Busquets. And that worked to great effect in that case. So it's difficult to, you have to basically choose between man-marking Busquets or de Jong, And that's a good spot to be in because yes, man-marking Messi is, is not a <laughs> good smart thing. Last thing I want to wrap this one up with, because we're going to move on to Spain, Croatia. Uh, the Czech Republic did win the tournament in 1976 as Czechoslovakia. It was an infamous chip shot during the penalty kicks by Antonin Panenka. And uh, that chip shot is what made it famous, 1976. And then they were also runners-up as the Czech Republic in 1996, so after the Soviet Union dissolved. So yeah, Czech Republic, they don't, other than Patrick Schick, they don't really have any big, big names, but they're, again, an experienced squad that's been around before, not since 1996, but you know, it's, they're, they're figuring things out after Pet- Petr Cech because Petr Cech was the highlight. He was a star of that team for a long time then they may end up missing some major tournaments. And now they've got a few players in their early to mid 20s that are figuring things out, but Netherlands were way talented. The second one we're talking about today, Spain, Croatia. It was similar, but not, because Croatia does have Luka Modric, they have Brovovic, they've got a lot of top, top shelf talent, right? But Spain were kind of better at almost every position but Modric. So Spain should have won this match, but I mean, it was exciting. The things that I think we should talk again about here at Levan is the stars for Barcelona. I mean, I think one of the reasons Spain won this, I mean, we could talk about the other players, but Pedri, Busquets, Garcia, Alba, I think that's who we should focus on. So I'm going to let you go first on the Pedri point. Pedri was just amazing.
2: What what, what a player. What a player. And it's kind of like, okay, we used to compare him to Iniesta because he does like some moves. Uh, He very clearly like uh, emulated Iniesta when he was a kid. But I don't think he has that magic that Iniesta has. However, uh, as far as setting the tempo goes, I think that's where he will uh, evolve towards. More distributing the ball and setting the tempo of the match than taking players off the dribble and and things like that. Uh, And in this sense, he always knows where the space is. He receives the ball, he, he knows which way which way to turn his body, where the escape route lies if he is under pressure. Uh, it's just a delight to watch. Um I just hope, because there was this news report coming out that he's going to the Olympics.
1: Yep. With Eric and, Garcia.
2: I, with Eric Garcia and for and then I thought, okay, that sucks. But isn't the Olympics in like twenty twenty two? And then, then, I googled when the first game was, and it's it's like the twenty the twenty third of July. Yep, <laughs> and that is just insane. Yeah,
1: this, I, it's it's going to be hundred and it's going to be like hundred and six or something, hundred and seven matches for him in a calendar year. That's t- it's too much. It's too it's much. ridiculous. Even eighteen is too much. It's absurd.
2: I can see Eric Garcia going because, frankly, he needs
1: to practice. It's true. He only played. Yeah, yeah. he played twelve yeah. times this year for Man City, yeah. and he played six times now. And then same with Oscar Magenta. Magenta's. You know, he's had this. He had his break about a month, month and a yeah. half, and so or but yeah, he about three weeks or a month and a half. So yeah,
2: yeah. But but the whole idea of having a player and in the European Championships and in the Olympics during the same summer. Like it's too much. Yeah. It, sh- it should not even enter anybody's mind. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, I have a bad feeling about this. Uh, I, If we were any other team than Barcelona, who is the living embodiment of Catalunya, who is for years now on the front line of wanting to become independent, if we were not in that situation, I don't think Pedri would be selected. Now I think it's a situation where Spain says we're going to take Pedri to the Olympics. Pedri is Spanish, and we don't care about the Catalan club that he plays for. So I think the player very much uh, is a victim of this, hmm. and we'll we'll see how it turns out. Because qu- quite clearly, it's absurd that he got called up. It's it's ridiculous. It's the same if my employer would tell me after uh, one year, no,
1: you are not getting your vacation days.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but I need my vacation... You're not getting them. Yeah, but I really want my... You're not getting them.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if this is ceremonial and he's and he pulls out. I Depending on how far Spain goes. I mean, yes, they're in the quarterfinal now, but I wouldn't be surprised if they... Let's say they do beat Switzerland and move on to the semifinal. I think every... Every game that this goes on, it's less likely that he appears there. Um, I remember the Olympics in 2016, maybe. It was the one that Neymar was called up to both the Olympics as an overage player and to the Copa America, and then he winds up going to just the Olympics, but he was called up to both, and that one was like the 11th hour. It was another one of those where it, basically the plane was leaving, and then it was announced that he wasn't going to Copa America, and then he winds up winning the, right? Yeah, I think he won the Olympics on, in Brazil in 2016 mm. or whatever it was yeah so so that it happened with Neymar as he was a Barcelona player too by the way so i that doesn't really refute <laughs> your uh, your idea about the selecting Catalan... Not Catalan players, because Pedri's from Las Palmas, not from Catalonia. But yeah, I, I just want to reiterate what you said, that it's been funny to me watching on social media, you know, the rest of the football world kind of noticing Pedri and getting to know the 18-year-old and kind of claiming that they're the ones who figured out that he's so good. But no, there's a reason why Luis Enrique is starting him every single match. There's a reason why Ronald Koeman started him every single match next to Messi. There's a reason why he's the youngest player to ever start in a Euro knockout. So what, what makes him most incredible, I, I think... You did a good job explaining the tempo. And I think it's just that he does exactly what any manager asks of him. Because Luis Enrique and Kuman are not asking the same thing of him. And to see how he has contorted and changed his game and adapted to the way that Luis Enrique wants to use him, again, the way he defends when he needs to, he controls the play when he needs to, and he takes chances with the ball when that's what, you know, Luis Enrique is asking him to be a bit more direct, because obviously there's no Messi in this squad. So Pedri is the one who has to kind of make a few more decisions and then just that game against croatia he contributes directly that to, to what was the buildup that resulted in at least two of those goals particularly the second one that uh, asplaqueta uh, there we go uh, headed in that one is it was i'd say 60% pedri you know leading up to that and then he gets credited with that own goal but obviously and the broadcast here in the us was good to Mentioned it, Yeah, not his fault at all. You know, Simone has got to have that figured out. So yeah, Pedri, we're going to continue to praise him. We're lucky that he's at Barcelona and we're hoping that he gets some kind of time off. I agree. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I will say that, you know, to your comment that there is a reason that he's the youngest Spanish player ever to play in a knockout game of, a, of an international tournament. The reason for that is that Ansu Fati is injured.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know because he is a month younger than Ansu Fati. So if they both played in that oh. game, then Pedri would still always be a month younger. So cool. Pedri's going cool. to continue to rack up me. the youngest ever, too. <laughs> so um, on the other edge of the age spectrum, though, is Sergio Busquets, who after, just like Messi, I feel like people run out of words. And because you don't ever truly understand... What he is, I, I do want to mention. There was an athletic article that I was reading. I, I want to credit this because it inspires this conversation from Dermot Corrigan, who's a really good journalist. You can read him on the Athletic. The word that kept popping up in that article was was generous. That, and generous in the sense that Luis Enrique had said this week that he's generous in the way that he's willing to toe the line of getting yellow cards. 21 yellow cards in 123 caps, but never sent off. Uh, generous at doing the right thing, whether that's a tactical foul, whether that's rolling on the ground, and his willingness to be the bad guy in the, med- in the perception of the media by crying more than other players or just by being a little bit more of a character in that way. Of course, the peekaboo. The peekaboo is the most famous one. And yeah, for those listening, that was what Levon <laughs> hinted at. Uh, and then the article was a lot about how he's now taking over Sergio Ramos and being the captain of this team. And the fact that in the first two matches, everyone goes, oh, Spain's not, they're just not good enough. Then all of a sudden their captain comes back from COVID and now they scored 10 goals in two matches. And the other thing too about the way Busquets plays, here's a, a very telling stat, 24% of his passes in the group stage were vertical or forward compared to just 14% from Rodri, which is not the way you'd think of that. And Busquets had even more vertical or forward passes than Koke had in that round. And Koke was the one who created a lot of the, the best chances for the Spain national team. And then, yeah, I mean, the other, yep.
2: Busquets plays further back. So you expect more forward passes from him.
1: Sure. Well, even Chance Creations has been very similar to Koke's number. Um, Now, the way I want to take this in is how we continue to characterize Busquets. Because again, after all these years, we're still on the podcast trying to figure out new ways to talk about him. So I would ask, how much do we actually know about Sergio, uh, Sergio Busquets? I was thinking about this this week, about like social media and all this stuff. So we know he has a wife and two kids. But we never really see him on social media promoting anything he you know very rarely maybe you'll see him doing the jersey reveals but he doesn't even put that on his own social media and so i do wonder how the lack of a desire to win over the media and fans does hurt him because as much as we say there is a barca bubble maybe barca opinions of players are also formed by those outside the bubble so because you don't hear that much from about busquets outside the bubble it means that the only attention that he's really been getting is that because he's such a tough player to compliment outside of, you know, the past, you know, his past and the bubble that everyone just kind of relies on the, the same compliments that they gave him when he played with him, yes, and Xavi. And there's really no <laughs> understanding of the way that he's evolved. And basically everyone just regurgitates, uh, regurgitates the same question. Can he still do it? So when you watch Spain play and you wonder, can he still do it? Obviously he's been the man of the match in the last two matches. He's the captain. He, he's only 31 years old, but then you watch Barcelona and because of their personnel, you say, can he still do it?
2: I think the thing with Busquets is when, when things around him work, he's great. When it doesn't, then his weaknesses uh, become pretty punishing for the team. So as as long as you don't have to, uh, as long as he doesn't have to uh, defend a lot of space, he's amazing. The moment that there's too much space for him to defend, then that brings the team into trouble. So it's, it's really, it's really a, a case of trying to maximize his strengths and minimize his weaknesses, uh, which is the case for, for a lot of players, of course. It was also the case for, I think we talked about uh, Macherano the, the other day, where his weaknesses were that if you let in too many crosses, other teams will take advantage of that. However, if you stop other teams from crossing the ball as much, then all of a sudden Macherano becomes a giant. And, and it's a, similar for, for Busquets. Uh, I will say that when, in, this, in a very same way, when he is on, he is, the man is such a delight to watch.
1: And when he is off, it's maddening to watch
2: him. When he's
1: off, his team loses. That's what happens. I oh, think. yeah. yeah. Immediate correlation. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and when he's on, it's because the people around him do uh, exactly what they need to do in order for him to play well. And when they do that, he makes everybody around him better as well.
1: Yeah, and three of the players that did that for Spain against Croatia were Pedri, Eric Garcia, and Jordi Alba, which I think is a bright sign. It's a positive sign. So I don't have anything more to add about Eric Garcia than I have already pantomimed the last two weeks in seeing him. Again, I continue to not be afraid that Eric Garcia is going to be a, in uh, maybe an important part of the, the Barcelona back line. Uh, if he's one of the three or four center backs, I'm in no way afraid of that. He controls the game, and he controls the game really well. The only worry is the same worry, that he goes to anticipate so often that Barcelona and Spain will give up goals when his anticipation isn't perfect to the exact blade of grass it needs to be because he just doesn't have the foot speed to catch up. But his anticipation is very, very good. And you see this with a lot of, I mean, even uh, company, even though that Eric Garcia is much better than Vincent company. I mean, reverse that. (laughs) Vincent company way better than Eric Garcia in the air. Vincent company defended the same way. If he did not get his anticipation correct, he didn't, Honestly, he didn't really have the foot speed to catch up, but his anticipation was so often, and it's actually no surprise that who did Eric Garcia first, who was his first captain? Who did he first learn first-team football under? Vincent Company. Not to say that they're the same player, but I just, I do find parallels there.
2: Uh, is it not that, you know, he, he relies on anticipating because he knows that if he stays back and covers, then defenders might get the best of him because he does not have the strength to hold them off?
1: I don't know if he's physically as weak as as we think he is. I mean, we saw, I, I don't know, Mate, like we saw, for the Netherlands, we saw De Ligt get... You'd think that Delict was, you know, an eight-year-old child, the, the way that he was completely manhandled in in that game by the Czech Republic. And Mateus De Ligt is supposed to be a strong and powerful, you know... I mean, the way that Jerome yeah. Botang has been, Jerome Botang has been, you know, knocked... Off. I, I'm i not sure I, about that. I, I think he's not this... He's not a hulking presence, but I also am not sure... I also would say that he's still 20, so I he's also growing into his body potentially. A- again, none of those things, I think those are all valid points. I just don't think any of those distract me or uh, detract me from thinking that he's going to be just fine at Barcelona. I mean, right. every player has their issues and their weaknesses, and because we can isolate his so prominently, I'm hoping those are things he can improve upon. But I think the one thing we keep coming back to is, I think we're all scared that he's not going to be able to improve upon or fix the problems that we see in his game right now
2: i mean for me as a signing it's it's a no-brainer he
1: comes for free he
2: was willing to lower his salary as well uh he's obviously very talented um and that means that you know he's a great addition to the squad will he be a starter i don't know will he ever be a starter i don't know was it a smart signing of course, it's a smart signing, obviously. So uh, the future, uh, the future will show us. But like I said, some people say, "Ah, oh, he's not good enough." Some people say, "Ah, oh, it's the best signing ever because he is the future of the club." Oh, hold on, he's he's 20 years old. He played 12 games this season. Um, he played how many games did he play the season before that?
1: Uh, 25.
2: 25. I was going to say. Around 25, uh, because he didn't start really yeah. playing until the second half of the season, right? So, honestly, we have not seen enough of him to to really know. I, I wonder, though, why Luis Enrique uh, took him off at, what was it, the 65, 70-minute mark? Because it's a bit of a weird uh, sub to make, just to take off your CB uh, and put on another central defender. Like, well,
1: he's been doing that in why? every match. Every match that Eric Garcia started, he did that, the uh, three times before now in this in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting move.
2: So so I wonder, I wonder what the logic is behind that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but another club or another club, another national team that didn't really have answers. Spain did have answers, but I don't have much to say about France-Switzerland. I have a bigger question that I want to take this, not final segment. We're going to quickly go over Argentina-Bolivia, but France-Switzerland, I don't think we need to spend too much time on. I'm more concerned the fact that the best team didn't win, but I want to get your thoughts about France-Switzerland. I thought
2: France played uh, better than Switzerland, obviously, they created a lot more, uh, but because they uh, are a vastly more talented team, at 3-1, they thought, that's it. C'est fini. let the Swiss go back to the mountains. And uh, you know, Switzerland did not really agree with that, that idea and fought incredibly hard to come back, and they deserved to come back. It was lovely to see. It, of course it's always fun to root for the underdog but that that's basically that's basically what happens uh, i think the first half uh Deschon was just a disaster of a coach why play long Lay? he should not even be at the euros uh, on, on the strength of how he has played this season then why start him then why do you play three center backs in a formation that has no wing backs and no real wingers that's yeah, also, just horrible. Why do you allow Mbappe to take the last penalty in a penalty shootout? Like, you know, what's honestly, what is wrong with you? You don't let your star player take the last penalty in a penalty shootout. Especially not somebody who who is that young. Because they, they have twice as much pressure as, as any other player. Because another player, yeah, there's pressure. Because if you miss, your team can lose but the the amount of memes and the amount of just um, media talking about you missing that penalty mm-hmm. is way less way less for Giroud than for Mbappe right so the, the the moment that you that you walk to to that penalty spot with the ball in your hand that, that pressure on Mbappe was just was just incredible And we've seen, we've seen like legends of the game, miss penalties um, by Joe uh, Van Basten, Maradona, Platini, Zico. Like the the, the biggest names in football have missed penalties and penalty shootouts precisely because of this reason. So why, why would you, why would you put Mbappe in that position? Mm -hmm. It's absurd. It's, it's hilarious, but it's just such terrible coaching.
1: You know, I found it funny when you're speaking about the, the memes and the social media that I saw a few accounts putting Griezmann, like a disappointed Griezmann, that France were out. But Griezmann was taken off. Griezmann didn't take a penalty. Griezmann wasn't even involved in that. So I was wondering why those social media accounts questioned Griezmann. I thought Griezmann was actually good in the game. His work on the second goal, I mean, by Green, Karim Benzema, the, the header goal, he's the one who made it happen. Again, he gets 75 80% of that credit, and then Benzema just had to head it in. That's all he had to do and this coming obviously after Benzema's an incredible touch on in the first goal, so I, I kind of whispered that, that compliment, but boy, Benzema's he's good, but, you know, I don't have to get into that, but as, ba- as bad as Clement Lingley was, though, you mentioned about the first goal that Stafirovic just outjumps him. The second goal was basically the same thing, and then Rafael Varane was so far behind him that he didn't even get outjumped like Lingley did. He was just completely off the mark. So if I have to say, oh boy, Barcelona have to bring back Lingley, but then I was like, oh well, Real Madrid have to bring back Rafael Varane. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, live it, you live with it. You live with it. Um, no, you have, I, think
2: for, I think I think Varane is better.
1: No, uh, I'm better not arguing than, that, but I just, a lot better than Lingley. I'm not arguing I'm just saying that if you're going to trash the Barcelona center back, you've got to make sure you throw the Real Madrid center back under the bus for that Switzerland, yeah. Switzerland goal as well. And then the third I- one, obviously, for Pogba to have that Galazzo he scores and then to be the reason why Switzerland comes right up the middle for the third goal, I mean, that's a tough one. For Pogba to be as good as he was this entire tournament, including, again, that Galazzo, and then to just lose his defensive assignment in the moment that he needed to be in that spot, it's a tough one. It's a tough pill to swallow.
2: <laughs> It should have stopped celebrating his goal, yeah,
1: you know
2: dan- dance for five seconds, not for the next fifteen minutes,
1: <laughs> yep,
2: you know that that that's it uh France thought them thought they were too good, and that you know Switzerland would just uh curl up in a corner and cry, yeah well if I and, find what- you know so so much so much in sport is psych- uh, psychology anyway,
1: yeah. Well, I think it comes down to experience. You say it's psychology, that the youngest member of the Swiss starting 11 was 24 years old. There was plenty of experience in, you know, even Rodriguez is not the way player he used to be, Ricardo Rodriguez. Yet, that was an experienced group that had played together going all the way back to like the U21s. There's like three or four of that generation, Sommer and uh, Safarovic, and, you know, the goalkeeper, then Rodriguez. So, yeah, and then Shaka, you see the leader that he is, and he was really composed. You know, he's because he plays for Arsenal, he's kind of a butt of a lot of jokes because that's what you get for playing for Arsenal. But I thought he was just so composed, and he, he was ready to lead his team as a captain. So uh, all that quality for France didn't matter. That said, here, before we do Argentina Bolivia to end the show, I want to do a quick how often does the best team not win the tournament because France is out, right? They were, we agreed, they were kind of the best team, they were the favorites. Here we go. 1960, the first champion of the Soviet, which was the Soviet Union, they beat Spain in the quarterfinals because Spain withdrew from the tournament. Uh, And at that time, Hungary was probably the best team in the world, but they also didn't show up after the World Cup and what happened in Hungary. So 1968, Italy qualifies for the final of the 1968 tournament that they won by winning a coin toss after a goalless semifinal with the favorite Soviet Union. Okay. West Germany were the best team in 1972, which they won. 1976, which they won, oh, I'm sorry, 1976, which they lost to Czechoslovakia, as we already discussed. And then they also won in 1980 when West Germany were once again the best team. 1988, Netherlands are the best team in that instance. Denmark in 1992 when, yes, they had Michael Laudrup, of course, sure, and a bunch of good players. But they were only invited to the 1992 Euros to take the place of Yugoslavia, who had been expelled from the tournament. So Denmark winds up winning a tournament that they probably shouldn't even have been at. 1996, Germany wins it, who had an argument for being the best in the tournament. But honestly, the best team that year was probably Portugal with their golden generation with Luis Figo and Rui Costa. So, I mean, again, Germany, we're splitting hairs on that one. France in 2000, we're coming off the 1998 World Cup. That makes sense, they were a really good team. Greece in 2004, beating Portugal on home soil. Duh, Greece not the best team that year. Spain in 2008 and 2012, were the best team. Portugal beating France in 2016, I don't want to hear it. Portugal, obviously, we're not the best team. And then whoever wins it this year was clearly not the best team either in this tournament. They're, yeah, nobody. Yeah, definitely not. You can maybe argue Belgium, who I think at this point, I mean, could win it, but it was France. It was always it was always going to be France. But yeah, so it's it's tournament play. I don't think we... Uh, I It got me thinking that I think domestic campaigns like the Liga let you know who was the best team in Spain that year. The Champions League is kind of a crapshoot, but... of the time the best team wins it, or 70%, whatever you want to say, and then for even the Euros or the World Cup, I mean, how often does the best team win it? I mean,
2: when you go back in history, uh, your judgment of what is the best team is also partly determined on which team won the tournament. It's true. Right. right. If you win the tournament, Um, that makes you the best. I agree. I agree. as for Belgium, you know what I what I read the other day, um, and I was a bit surprised because I hadn't like um, I hadn't seen that ranking for a long time because nobody cares about the ranking. Of course, we all know it exists. There's actually a FIFA ranking,
1: <laughs> right? And an Elo ranking and, and other competing rankings. Yeah.
2: Okay, I, I just know about the FIFA ranking, and they they base the ranking uh, on the amount of games that you win and who your opponents are when you beat them, and, and whatnot. And Belgium has actually been number one for three years. So based on that, Belgium is the best team and Belgium should win a tournament.
1: Well, the reason that's a highly flawed system, it's the same way that Poland got in pot one back in the world cup a few years ago, because both Belgium and Poland have a habit of, if you'll notice they'll schedule friendlies against teams that will boost their coefficient that they can beat. uh, And then it winds up putting them in a higher pot for the qualifying for things. So Oh. If you did that over a long amount of time. So with the Nations League now, which is like the, the yeah, the, with the new Nations League system, this is that's being used to try to get rid of trying to game the system like that and making sure that every international match matters or has some kind of stakes. So that kind of should be ending that. But yeah, I think now we're in the, can we, should we move on to Argentina, Bolivia? I think, we, I, I think we're where I, we need to be.
2: I didn't know that though. It's very interesting. Yeah, let's move on.
1: So, Argentina, Bolivia, let's talk about really just Messi and Aguero. We're gonna be quick here. Messi affected all four goals. First was the assist to Papu Gomez, which is an incredible assist. Just pivots around and left footed, unsurprisingly, just dink it over three guys and finds Papu Gomez. The second was the PK that he finishes. Third was the lob over the keeper on the pass from Aguero. And the fourth was starting the move that ended in the Latoura Martinez goal. Uh, So without an actual assist, that was his least involved. But he still played a huge role in all four of those, uh, unsurprisingly. But what I was looking for, Levan, the whole whole match, basically, um, was the connection between Messi and Aguero. And trying to figure out, because again, we're going in with, I think, the bias at this point that Messi and Aguero don't work perfectly. Or even if you thought that you know Messi and his buddy, Luis Suarez, that this is going to be a huge step down from that. So I was looking for the connection between those two. And there were some good things. In the first 15 minutes, it was a dummy that came off. But then in the same minutes first 15 minutes, it was a break where it was 2v2 and it didn't work out so great when Aguero just overshot Messi by 20 feet. But then throughout the latter half of the first half and the second half, they had a, a lot of good short combination play that Angel Correa and his work rate, it reminded me of, again, classic vintage Pedro, where he just, he worked really hard. He worked vertically, he worked horizontally, Angel Correa, and then Papu Gomez too was putting in a good shift. And that means you got the most out of the positioning of Aguero and Messi. The one thing I did notice is that Aguero was dropping deep a lot more. And I think that's a good thing. I think for him to drop as deep as he was and help with buildup, Now, on the counter-attack, that's not great. And the only time Bolivia really countered, they countered through the middle after Aguero would drop deep. But Bolivia was so behind Argentina, if you will, in this game, that it didn't really matter. Even when it was 3-1, Argentina were far, far superior. But Barca are going to be far superior than a bunch of teams in the Liga. So it's not like this is not something that we're not going to see later on down the road.
2: Yeah, but teams in La Liga are tactically a lot stronger.
1: I very than, much agree. Yeah, than than so Bolivia. So even Bolivia would finish twentieth in La Liga.
2: Yeah, when you, when you look at individual talents, the talent gap might be uh, might be similar, because of course, Liga clubs are more talented than Bolivia as well. But Barcelona is more talented than Argentina. Yeah. Um, but the whole tactical preparation, like there's there's no comparison. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. I'm, I'm glad that Messi is having a good tournament. I hope that he wins it. Let's see what happens. It might. Um, at the same time, uh, Laporta told us that you know he wants uh, Messi to renew his contract either on Messi's birthday, which was, I think, the 24th, mm-hmm. or Laporta's birthday. Which is today. Which, which <laughs> is today. Let, let me go real quick to Mundo Deportivo to see if we have any news here.
1: There's nope. no, There's nothing more fun than breaking news on a podcast. And what's oh. more fun is when you don't break news on a podcast. <laughs> it doesn't seem oh. like there's any. There's anything new yet.
2: Not nothing. Nothing yet. Sweden against Ukraine uh, in prolongation right now. So <laughs> um, I think we'll probably finish this podcast right on time for us to uh, to check the penalty shootout.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the the all, the point is that it does expire. That being Messi's contract tomorrow on the 30th yep. of June. So uh, by the time this is in your ears, this is probably resolved. So I think. I don't know, Levon. I think it's time for us to resolve this show. So thanks again. I think we hit everything. Final word from you? Uh, Biscal Barça. Of course. So Always. I think I'll wrap it up another edition. You know where we are. Close face to group the Barcelona podcast. We're both on Twitter. He's at Barcelev. He's he's the guy to follow here, but we're also on Twitter at the Barcelona pod or at D13 for me and Instagram at the Barcelona pod. Uh, Patreon's how we keep making these shows. Always appreciate it. And then we're on YouTube. We can watch little segments of these too. We do want... We're kind of telling people to go from YouTube where not many people were watching and a lot of it got negative. Come back, put us in your ears. We're a little more fun there. So yeah, come back to the Barcelona podcast on the audio version. But no matter what, we always want to thank everybody for listening to the very end to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca.
2: Forza Barca, everyone. Ciao.